Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory today in all things. We thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus. If it wasn't for him, Lord, none of us would be sitting here. And we just thank you for that, Lord, as we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And we pray for Pastor Bill and Patty to have an uneventful trip on the way home, that they would be safe, whatever route they're taking, Route 10 or whatever it is, coast to coast. And just pray for them, Lord. Bless them. Let them enjoy their time together and with the friends they're going to see along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Today's the day that we call New Year's Day. It's the beginning of a new year, a beginning of many things that we can think of that we would like to turn around and do. And at the same time, uh, in preparing for this lesson today, uh, the Lord really put it on my heart. I, I was thinking about what would be appropriate, what would be good. Uh, although everything in the Word of God is appropriate, of course. But I, uh, th- the thought came on John chapter 17, because it's such a great prayer. And it's an example of prayer. It's, um, it's an intercessory prayer. And the definition of that, and it's also sometimes called standing in the gap. You know, somebody goes down, you stand in the gap, you pray for them. That's how we are as Christians. That's why we're called the body of Christ. Each one of us belongs in that body. So um, so this intercessory prayer is really an expression of agape or selfless love and praying for the needs and the common concern for others, whether they're Christians, non-Christians, it doesn't really matter. We step in there and we pray for people. And this particular prayer is a great example of how to pray in that manner. So we're going to go through that. And um, So chapter 17 is where Jesus is going to pray to his Father in heaven. This is at the end of the Passover feast. This is just before he goes out the door and heads to Gethsemane. And what begins at Gethsemane is the passion. He begins to march to his crucifixion on the cross and then to the grave and then to his resurrection. So these things are on his mind. But the one thing that he wants to make very clear here is he wants to speak to the people that are there, his disciples. He wants to speak to uh, those who he has taught. And he wants to speak to the future. In verse 20, it says, who is, who is this really applied for? It's applied for those of us today that call ourselves Jesus followers. He isn't praying for the world at that point in time. He's praying for us long before we came to be a Christian. So uh, that's what we're looking at today in the sense of what it's broken down as. Chapter 17 has three parts. And the first part of the prayer focuses on Jesus' mission on earth. What did he do while he was here? You know, a lot of the time he was here was kind of quiet when he was growing up. And then all of a sudden he appears on the scene at 30 years old. And he... uh, This is the 33rd year that he's in right here. And the second part focuses on the 11 men seated around him. There's not 12 because Judas has already gone out the door to betray him and to set him up for uh, them to come and take him at the Garden of Gethsemane. And the third part Jesus prays for is the church overall. That's us. 
for the body of Christ, for the church. Not just this church, but every Christian church that's right before the Lord. So, um, in perspective, the complete chapter really applies to all of us today as we go through the examples that are in here. Um, So we enter uh, John chapter 17 in 2023 as a reminder of the vastness and the love Jesus has poured out for us. It's all in there. You can feel it. To his followers in his time and his followers on earth today. So looking at verses 1 through 4 now, chapter 17, 1 through 4. He's speaking to the Father. He says, Jesus, in verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In John 17, 2, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And that was the whole focus on this. This is the eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I emphasize the only true God. He is the only true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no other gods in this world. There's only one that begins with a capital, and that's the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 17, 4. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Whatever the Father gave him in instructions when he came to this earth, he's finishing. He's on his way. He's not quite finished. He still has to go to the most tormenting, most brutal part of his life when he, when he goes to the cross and they take his life. So the first thing to notice is how Jesus addresses, and this is part of knowing how to pray, intercessory, he addresses his prayer to the Father in heaven. Who else would Jesus pray his intercessory prayer to but his Father, right? Nobody else. Jesus' agony and death was only hours away. So the hour in here in John 17.1 refers to Jesus' time of passion. That's Gethsemane, trials, scourging, mocking, cruelty, crown of thorns, plucking out his beard, carrying the cross, nailing him to the cross, and his suffering and death. And I probably missed a few things in there, too. But think about all of that that was going to happen within a matter of hours. It was going to begin. So Jesus asked the Father to glorify him, in which this context means to bring Jesus through the crucifixion and resurrected life. That's the only way we're going to be saved. He's crucified. He resurrects. We relate to that. We understand that. He did it for us. And all that the Father has given to Jesus, these Jesus may grant eternal life. It's the only place eternal life comes from. Is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and as a follower of Jesus Christ. And confessing our sins and walking the walk ahead of that is what we call today Christians. So notice again, Jesus reminds us that he's not on a mission to save those but the, the Father gives it. He, he is on a mission to save those that the Father gave him. Not everybody was going to end up in that place. Not to condemn all of us, but to save us all that commit our lives to him, confess our sins, ask Jesus to come into our lives, and as our Lord and, to fav, as our Lord and Savior, 
Everybody knows John 3.16. John 3.17 says he came into the world to save it, not to condemn it. That was his mission. Thank God for that. We wouldn't be here today without that. Eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son whom the Father sent. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we go to Bible studies. This is why we pray. We have a devotional time with the Lord. These are all things that if we've been kind of falling away or not as intense as we should be on them, then this is the year, 2023, to pick it up again and start going with it. Um, Eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son whom the Father sent. Jesus asked the Father to glorify him by raising Jesus in the flesh. Having conquered death, Jesus would then have authority to judge all flesh. This is going to happen. And in that judgment, Jesus will grant eternal life to those the Father elects. And that's a whole other sermon if you want to talk about that in defining what election is and all of that. But at another time, we'll look into that. And finally, Jesus explains that since Jesus has accomplished all the work the Father asked of him, the Father is glorified on earth. Who? Through his Son. He's showing people who the Father is. He told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. A sense of spiritual sense. So why is Jesus explaining this to the Father? He knows everything. He knows all things. Once again, the answer is a model for us to pray and to understand how we come before God. Throughout this prayer, Jesus will offer the Father rationale for his request. just doesn't put it out there gives you some details of what that prayer is intended for. The rationale is merely for the disciples' benefit and also for ours as we learn how to pray, as we learn how to ask the Lord to step in for us on something. We all have circumstances like that during a lifetime. But it may be also true that the Father delights to hear his children revealing their reasoning for asking this. It's to know that. He's... And and that we're saying it, that we're asking things like that. This makes sense since we know prayer is principally a means of aligning our hearts with God's rather than changing God's mind. You know, there's things that come along and say, oh, man, I don't want that, Lord. I don't want it. I don't want it. And you say, well, I'll pray about it. I'll go to the Lord and see if he will take it away from me. Well, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? Because... Those are the times that he really wants us to go through things. And some of them are hard sometimes. Some of them are very, very emotionally, physically, and spiritually hard. But you know what? He's right here. He's right beside us. We can never forget that. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have Jesus beside us. How can we lose? It's a winning, winning way. So... Um, This is a healthy exercise. We might find our request changing as we go through it. It might modify our prayer. Oh, this doesn't really sound right. Or maybe I'm going in the wrong direction here. Maybe I should be going in the other direction. So he argues to the Father to resurrect the Son because doing so will ensure the Father's glory is made complete on earth. Furthermore, the Son's resurrection will ensure that he can deliver eternal life to God's elect as the Father desires. He can give us eternal life. Nobody else can. Finally, in verse 4, Jesus says he has done what the Father asked. Therefore, Jesus is deserving of the Father's response. He's, 
He's praying in line with thy will, Lord. And Rudy reminds me of this all the time. I had forgotten it for a long time. You know, if we're asking something or we're saying, hey, I'm going to be there tomorrow. And they'll look, oh, yeah, Lord willing. Isn't that true? There's no guarantee we have tomorrow. There's no guarantee we have an hour from now. But Lord willing, if we pray according to God's will, the Lord's will, we're okay no matter where we are because we have the Lord with us. So Jesus' second request is found, John 17, verses 5 to 8. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They were a little offbeat at times, but they were there. They were men. And we know how men are, right? We're squirrely. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus asked the Father now to glorify him in another way. Jesus asked for the glory he once knew before Jesus became incarnate, before he became man. In his pre-incarnate form, Jesus was the Shekinah glory of God and visible that way to men. Go through the book of Exodus. You see that. The tabernacle. You know, he was there. Moses went in to see him, see God. And he came out and he told the people what God would say. He led the people that way. That was the way that things were done during that time. It's different today. Um, But the Bible says that when Jesus became incarnate, he gave up his glory because he had the flesh, and he's going to go and get that back. Philippians, who Paul wrote, Philippians 2.6, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But, was, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. A bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You have to ask yourself a question. Well, would I be capable of, of coming through with things like that if I had such a great place as Jesus, the Son of God, as, as the second person of the Trinity. But God will ask us to do things sometimes in our normal lives that are kind of extraordinary for us. But he takes ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that's how it works. And you'll notice the, um, the description here is he emptied himself. And another word is servant. And he was obedient. And he humbled himself. Those four things is things that we need to put into our heart and our life to be able to accomplish the things of God. In Philippians 2, seven, when Paul said Christ emptied himself, Paul's describing how Jesus gave up the glory he knew beforehand in order to come to earth as man and God. He came in the likeness of men when necessitated leaving his glory behind. That is, and he will regain this. You know, when he, when he ascends into heaven, 
And he's again with the Father. This is why Jesus appeared so ordinary, according to Scripture. People would say, well, how come they didn't, couldn't figure him out when he tried to get away? Looked like everybody else. You know, he didn't have any special thing that would set him apart. As a man, he looked like a normal man, regular man. And he made his way into the crowd. And at that time, he wasn't ready for certain things. And the Lord let him, let him leave and, and get away from the Pharisees and stuff like that. So in John seventeen six, Jesus offers the Father reasons to restore Jesus to the state of glory. First, Jesus says he manifested the name of God before men. He brought the name of God. He showed it in miracles. He showed it in the way he taught. He showed it in the way that he treated people. He showed it in the way that the people that he went to. He didn't go to the to the top-notch people. He went to people that were considered um, not so great. He went to a tax collector. None of us like going to the tax collector. But he went to this tax collector, and the people, like, you know, considered that guy a huge sinner, right? He went to people that were, you know, somewhat considered lower than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because that's where the ministry is. The ministry is in the midst of normal people that are out there every day. So the Greek word for manifest simply means to make visible or clear, to show things, to show them like you're showing a movie or a slideshow or something like that. And this is what Jesus did when he gave up his glorified position at the right hand of the Father. He portrayed the Father to the people. By coming as a man, Jesus showed the world the Father who is otherwise invisible. We've never seen the Father, you know? But we know he's there, and we know it when we pray, and we know it that when we're in the will of God, we know it. We just have this thing that says, I know he's here. I know Jesus is here. I know the Holy Spirit's here. But also notice that the manifestation was only made to those the Father chose from out of the world. In other words, those that would make their commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is a very narrow line that's showing not to the sinners of the world at the time. We are sinners, but we've been brought out of that. And we still sin in certain ways in our lives, and we ask for forgiveness to the Lord. But these are people, the other people are ones that maybe had the opportunity turned away. I don't need that. I don't want that. Everything's great. Until they come to the end of their life. And then what happens? Where are you going? I don't know. Well, you're going to hell. And that's pretty straightforward. And that should be enough to scare people if they ever understood the definition of hell. Only those who belong to the Father are included in this revealing. As you I have come to know the Father through Christ Jesus, we are showing evidence we belong to him by keeping the word of God. And people can see people can see our walk. Every day we go out and we walk. We meet people, we see people. And the Lord will put people in our path for certain reasons. But we can go to work. People at work can see you. Can't be at work as a Christian and be in foul language and then commit to church and seem like a choir boy. It doesn't work that way. We have to be constant in everything that we do. Furthermore, Jesus says his disciples have come to know Everything Jesus has came from the Father. And Jesus' words and works were from the Father. They were ordained by him. 
He spoke truth given to him. And the Bible says what? The truth will set you free. And that's true. He performed miracles to demonstrate his power. By these things, we have come to believe that Jesus um, gave up his glory to make the Father known to men. We see the promise fulfilled upon his ascension when he returns to the Father. He's there now, and he'll come back in the rapture, which is probably the next event to happen. And it could happen today. (laughs) We're all praying for that. But we also could take another side. We have a lot of friends, relatives, even people we don't like that aren't saved. That's our job, to bring the gospel to people and bring it out and share it and not beat it over somebody's head, but give them in a loving and a very peaceful manner and draw them to the Lord. So now we move to the second part of the prayer, which Jesus prays for the eleven. John 17, 9, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, and they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition. We know who that is. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may that they may have my joy. And believe me, that's a capital J, made in full, uh, made full in themselves. 17.4, 14, I have given them your word, and the word world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What do you think is going on in the world today with us? You know, there's all of this craziness going on and things being said and sins being given as A pluses to people and say, this is the way you should go. Or we should make this kind of decision opposite of what the word of God says. Why should we do that? We know what the word is right, but the world is deceived. And after a while, and you can ask the guys that go down every other Saturday downtown, people hate those guys standing up in front of the abortion clinic. They just, they come up and get in their face. And praise the Lord, they've kept their cool. They've brought the gospel out. They show them a better way. And how many lives can be affected like that? But this is, that's a small example of what's going on out there today. You know, and the, and the Lord said in those end times, good will be evil and evil will be good. And we're seeing that switch. We've seen it in school. Kids are being raised up that way in school. The school books are just atrocious in the public schools. So Jesus asked on behalf of those who belong to the Father, why? Jesus is our advocate. He's our very advocate. He goes before the Father for us and presents our case. And he's always said, not guilty, he's one of mine. Or she's one of mine both ways. 
Jesus prays the way to remain in the Father's will, praying for what he knows the Father wants. Then Jesus gives reasons for why the Father should preserve the apostles. And these apostles belong to the Father. We belong to the Father in heaven. We belong to the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his life for us. But because they're one, one God, and we're to be one in them. Therefore, firstly, the Father has a personal interest. And he's talking about the apostles right now because they're his disciples. But it's the same for us. We're his disciples if we do it correctly. And we go out and we witness and we pray in our family, which is probably the toughest place. You know, you're like, oh, man, I don't really want to say this. You know, but you do it and you plant seeds. And after a while, all of a sudden it starts working. You know, secondly, Jesus says he's going to leave these men behind when he departs. Therefore, Jesus appears, appeals to the Father to provide care in his absence. And thirdly, at the end of John chapter 17, 11, Jesus asked the Father to make these men one. Make them one, one thinking, the way that they go out. It's according to your word. It's not your word plus something else. That's what happens to a lot of churches that start. They take the word and then they add on to it. And the Bible is very clear about saying not to do that. You don't add to it. You know, now it's man's word. You mix man's word with God's word, not a good thing. So the Father should preserve these men so they can act as a team. That's why he preserves us. We need to be a team. Well, Calvary Chapel Lakeside, we need to do things together. We need to pray together. We need to listen to the word. We sharpen each other. In the Bible studies that we have, we're all sharpening one another. is isn't just one person talking. Everybody gets the opportunity to submit, and it's turning out to be tremendous, tremendous. So Jesus never allowed any to perish except the evil son. Eventually these men die, but he's preserving them to that day. Uh, but Jesus is speaking are preserving them from, for the mission. They have a mission. We all have a mission. God gives us our orders. God gives us the ways that we should go. We need to follow them. You know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not so hard. But the glory and the good is what we're doing it for him. And he blesses us for that. Just as the world persecuted Jesus because he spoke the word of God, so will they persecute the apostles, and so they will persecute the children of God, because the world doesn't want to hear it. So Jesus asked the Father to preserve these men so they might accomplish their mission. Same with us. So Jesus prays for them to be physically and spiritually protected from Satan and his forces. There's evil. There's demons. There's all sorts of, there's a spiritual war going on out there. The Bible tells us how to handle that. Just have to listen to it. So that brings us to verse 15, John seventeen fifteen. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. In 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus does not ask the Father to remove the men from earth, for that would put a stop to the church growth and expansion. It's still growing. It's still expanding. It goes, you know, and how does that happen? By passing it along. 
you know, when Bill, Pastor Bill gets up here every Sunday, he's preaching. Sometimes a new person comes in the door, doesn't know the Lord. A lot of times they walk out knowing the Lord because of something that was said or something that was one of us. We greet them. We embrace them. We tell them who the Lord is. We even give them donuts. You know? Don't even charge them. It's free. So, um, so they must remain behind. And this is one reason probably the, um, we haven't been taken out of this world in the rapture. God is still working on people and helping people and the ministries going out all over the world. And those are people to pray for, those missionaries. When you see Pastor Bill ready to go to the missions field, like he does at least once a year, except for COVID, see his face? His face glows. He's, he wants to go. He wants to be there. And when he comes back, it's even brighter. And he shares that brightness with us. But we help send him there. We encourage him with prayer. You know, we talk to him. We do a lot of things for him. We help out when he's gone, things like that. He doesn't have to worry about what's going on back home. He focuses on what's going on in whatever mission field he's in. So in other words, the 11 men and us have been born again by faith and are not afraid of the world. So if the apostles are not part of the world, it's going to work that way. It's going to be very good. They're citizens now of the Messiah's kingdom. God's kingdom. What a great place to belong. What, you know, it gives us comfort. They've been ado- adopted into the family of God. They don't belong to the enemy. They've been taken out of that. Consequently, Jesus appeals to the Father to provide supernatural protection also. We have the Holy Spirit. He's there with us. You know, if you see something and you see yourself leading some way that's not good, just cry out, Jesus. He's right there. Cry out, Holy Spirit, help me. You know, show me the way. Let me get away from this. And Jesus' reasoning for why the Father should honor the request is because the unique mission to enter the world. Same with us. As God's representative, it's especially important they carry a testimony of what? Of godliness. So they can see Jesus in us. That's pretty straightforward. So Jesus asked the Father to sanctify these men. And this is the process we're going through right now in our walk with the Lord before we go home. We're sanctified day by day by day, every day. And we grow. And it's just wonderful to, to know how much God is living in us. It's just beautiful. Furthermore, Jesus reminds the Father that he sanctified himself for their sakes. He died for us. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus lived an obedient, sinless life to ensure he could save them from sin. I wonder when he was growing up as a little kid and his brothers, sisters there, you know how kids are? They kind of taunt each other, right? But he was Jesus. He didn't, you know, throw the mud in their face probably or anything like that, you know. 
He's a perfect human being. But he still had a, was, a, was given temptations and things like that to try to take him away from that by Satan. For only a sinless sacrifice could suffice to pay that penalty for sin. Couldn't be anything else. God had to sacrifice himself. Put his son there. There was a lot of other things that were tried from the Garden of Eden. Noah, you know, entering that new world right up to this day. A sinful sacrifice could suffice to pay the penalty for the sin, and that's what it is. All the other blood sacrifices were coverings. They were covered over. So Jesus argues the Father has a self-interest and responsibility to sanctify us and the apostles. To convict them of their sin, you know, we have a conscience. We're going down the wrong direction. You hear that voice. Stop. (laughs) Say, okay, Lord. To instruct them in righteousness. This is the path I want you to take. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 explains that. This is your path. It comes to us. This is your path. To instruct, to grant them courage and desire to obey. You know, if we want to hear, we want to obey. So that they become more holy, they become more effective in ministry and representing the gospel. And that's what sanctification is for us. Some more opportunities, more ways that God can use us. Isn't Jesus' approach to prayer just fascinating when you go through this and listen to it and step through it and walk through it? Instead of just asking God repeatedly with the same words, something that we can think about, the first thing we should do is to think more carefully about what we're asking God for. What is it that I'm asking God for? If you have a sick child or a sick mom and dad or somebody saying, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. You know how to pray because you see what's going on there. Um, You'll notice when your requests are not easy to defend the perspective of righteousness, we can modify those requests so that they're easy to defend and easier for us to put before the Lord. And in those ways, our requests will more quickly come to an alignment with the will of God. Not my will, but thy will be done. And as our requests given align, alignment we'll, with his will, we're going to see our request answered affirmatively and in a way that God can show us exactly what he wishes in this particular case or circumstance. You also get a sense of yourself growing closer to God. You ever notice that when your devotional was better and, you know, you're in the word more and, you know, you're coming on Sunday and you're listening to the pastor preach and stuff like that? You have a closer, it feels like you have a closer relationship with the Lord. And as our prayer life becomes less rigorous, a ritual enumeration of requests, it flows, it flows. We have prayer at everything that we do. And you can hear some people pray sometimes and know that they just left the Lord a minute ago. It's there. It's like, wow, thank you, Lord. I needed that. I needed to hear that. So making, moving to the conclusion section of the prayer regarding all believers, Jesus makes two requests. Beginning in John 20 and verse 2, 23. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, 
but for those also who believe me through the word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the word may believe that you sent me. The glory which you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. In them and in you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world will know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So notice Jesus clearly defines how his disciples are going to be made. It will be those who believe in the word of God. The growth of the church is dependent upon the spread of the word of God. Anytime Jesus' disciples are engaged in bringing the word to the world, it's a worthwhile endeavor. It's a great thing. And Jesus requests this growing body would be one like the Son and the Father are one. And notice Jesus prays both for a specific outcome based on a specific standard. And first, we are to be united in identity as the Son with one with the Father. That's what we want to line up with. And we are also made into one body by a common baptism of the Spirit. One church. You know, we want to believe everything that's in the Bible. We want to follow it. We don't want to get outside those reins. Secondly, we have one mind being taught according to the one and only word of God, not something else that was taken out of context, not something else that was there because somebody thought it was good to say, or some slogan on a wall or something that isn't right. There are not multiple ways into the faith that saves. There's only one way. Your faith is when you make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And guess what he also does? He pours out his righteousness, his righteousness to us. Wow. I can honestly say I'm not always righteous. I fall, I trip, I stumble. But I know that I can hear him and I know that he's there and I can know... And and bow down before him and ask him for forgiveness. Not just because it's it's there, but because I want that. God leads my heart that way. He leads our hearts that way. And there's not a multiple source of truth either. What is Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one else to the Father unless by me. So finally, as Jesus did the works of His Father, so will believers be united in working a common goal. That's why we're here. Within the true body, the works we do are intended to bring about a shared desire worldwide, which is far for more men and women to know Christ and glorify. The more we know, the more we can share. It isn't like going up some organizational chart and becoming the vice president of the company. No, we're all equal. There isn't any ministry that isn't, that's better than another one. Everyone that's done for the Lord is great. And God rewards us all for that. So Jesus asked the Father and that the church would be united. He's praying ahead. He can see the head. He can see a lot of things going on already. Unite them, Lord. Within the body of Christ, we find divisions. The common. So in Colossians 2.6, Paul again says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And that's the clue. 
having been firmly rooted, another one, and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Remember after we received the Lord, how excited we were? That's how we need to feel every day. You know, Medford, oh, guess what happened? You know, new two, ver- new a half a verse. Said, hey, let me take, let me give you the word of God and give him half a verse of something that you remember. Feel like, hmm, okay. But as we grew, we grew, grew more and knew more. In John 17, verses 4, 24 to 26, Jesus asked the Father to accomplish the glorification of the church so the church would be glorified before him. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me with me where I am be with me so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus loved us before, long before we were even born, long before we were even thought of by mankind. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And that's the feeling that we want people to know when we give them and recite the word or recite the gospel or give them words of wisdom is that I was sent by Jesus Christ. And I have made your name known to them and make it known so that the love which you love me may be in them and I in them. That's a great love. You know, it's agape. It's unconditional love. We don't look at somebody because they did something on your lawn or erected or something, you know, because they used some fertilizer that came over and just destroyed it. Now, you feel that way sometimes, you know, or your neighbor builds a fence four feet onto your property. I know how I felt after that happened. I was like, man, I'm going to go over and smack that guy upside the head. But I knew it wasn't right. And by the time I got to the driveway, it was like with my wife saying something to me, of course. It's always goodwill there. Turn around, come back, start praying for him. And we've been praying for him for four years now. And things, amazing things have happened with him and things that are going on. So verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love in which you love me may be in them and I in them. You can see that. Jesus requests that believers on earth would be granted the same glorification that the Father's prepared to grant to Christ. Following the death of this body, believers will receive a new physical body. We have Festival talks about this a lot. And we'll enjoy this for all of eternity. Can't wait. <laughs> you know. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15 that this new body is incorru- incorruptible. This fleshly body here is not incorruptible. We can get sick. We can get crippled. We can have dementia and start losing our minds. You know, very difficult thing to see people go through things like that. But we have to have to know that God is, for those who know him and know, and, you know, that, that love him, 
It's a short period of time on the face of the earth, you know. In Psalm 90, Moses says, you know, you might get 70 years, and then with a little bit more, you might reach 80. I'm getting a little concerned about that now. (laughs) Meanwhile, that in this new body, we will be like Christ, that we will never die again. And here's the great part. We won't sin. Praise the Lord. So the prayer concludes, and we see Jesus um, really um, address seven things. And Jesus made his intercession public so that you and I would have encouragement to know that these outcomes are not in doubt. They, They weren't made in private. They didn't just stay in the Bible. The Bible wasn't there when Jesus was there. But he made things public, and that's what we do. So Christ's intercession assures that, that the Father will honor these requests. And at this point, they're in the scenes in the upper room. It ends abruptly, and the last stage of Jesus' earthly ministry life quickly follows. They leave. Judas has already gone to betray him. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've ever been to Israel, it's an interesting garden to go to. It's off the, um, the Mount of Olives. And then everything happened from there. The excuses came. And the amazing thing to me about some of that was when he said, I am, and they fell over. What would you do if you were there? Be like, I'm out of here. You know, but in many stayed. This is how much they disliked him. This is how much hate and anger that was there and that Satan was stirring the pot but he took his steps he went before trial he went before Pontius Pilate they scourged him they put a crown of thorns on his head they pulled his beard out and then they walked him along the Via Dolorosa with the cross to the Damascus Gate the Damascus Gate looks right across at the Golgotha. And it does look like a skull. It's, um, it's got that kind of shape of a face. And then they brought him up there. They put him on the cross. They laid him on the cross. They nailed him to the cross. And they put him up for all the world to see. And because of that, we are free. And because of that, God gave it to us. So let's, in 2023, let's use that and all that we know and all that he prayed and walk the walk and talk the talk in 2023 like we never have before. God bless you guys. This morning we're going to do communion. So um, you you guys all know how that works, the routine. You come out the... um, front aisle or the middle aisle, come forward, pick up the, the, the juice and, the, and the, the bread and take it back to your seats. We're going to have a, a time of worship. We're going to have a, a couple of um, verses, you know, to, that speak about, whole, about communion. But um, I just want to say communion began on the annual celebration of Passover. Jesus took a, a loaf, put it aside, put a cup, put it aside, specifically to begin the new covenant. 
And he told ourselves to remember his sacrifice. And that's what we do here in communion. We remember his sacrifice on the cross and what he did to die for us. Just as Israel was celebrated with Passover lamb when the angel of death passed over their homes, so believers celebrate and remember the sacrifice of our sins when he died on the cross. And that blood flowed for the remission of our sins. So communion uses bread as a symbol of the body and wine as a symbol of his blood. It's a symbol. It is not his real body and his real blood. There are places that say that. The act of taking communion does not save us. It's an act of worship and remembrance. So why don't we go ahead and do that now, and then we'll, we'll pray in a couple minutes here. So.